Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is presented by Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a big supporter of Sidious Mag. They've sponsored races when we did the Trials of Miles circuit back in the spring. They backed the podcast during our daily show at the Olympic Trials in the summer. And they outfitted me and some friends when I raced Malcolm Gladwell in a mile back in May. We unfortunately don't talk about how that race ended for me. The Boston-based running brand is a company that crafts performance apparel for training, racing, and rest days. They just got mentioned on Fast Company's list of 2021 brands that matter, so congrats to them. From the mountains to cross-country courses and the roads, Tracksmith's newest releases celebrate fall running in all its varieties. Shop the latest collection of running essentials and check out the Tracksmith Journal for some inspiration and stories from the athletes, traditions, and events that make running the greatest sport in the world. If you saw me at the New York City Marathon, I was rocking their classic black Van Cortlandt singlet with a little City Smag touch to it. If you're in the city, you've only got a couple more weekends to hit their pop-up at 1928 Broadway. It's open for the rest of November on weekends. For my loyal listeners, Tracksmith is offering up 15% off your purchases using code CITIUS15 at checkout. Shop their fall collection, which is live as we speak. New colors and new styles for a new season. Hit Tracksmith.com and use code CITIUS15 at checkout. Thanks to the support on Patreon. You guys are really coming through there. And a special welcome to Bridget Chamberlain for joining the Backers Club on there. If you enjoy what we're doing, support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. A quick breakdown of how you can think of your contribution. $4 a month on Patreon is like buying me or my producer a cup of coffee. $8 maybe gets us a salad for lunch, and that's being super generous if I'm talking New York City prices. Anything more than $8 a month, and you're basically my best friend. If you sign up, you'll get a shout-out on the next episode of the podcast. You can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount to Sidious Mag on Venmo. It can be because you enjoyed the conversation, or you want me to shout-out a friend, teammate, coach, or family member who really loves the show. For this episode, a shout-out to Britt Costa, who just broke three hours in the marathon in Philly. I'm actually super jealous. He ran 259.12, and it's a goal that he's been chasing down for more than a decade. That's how I feel right now. He's worked really hard to crush this goal, and his family is super proud of him, especially his boys Ben, Luke, and Bloomy. So keep up the awesome work, Britt. Consider Venmo as a virtual tip jar if you enjoy the show. So thanks to everyone who has donated and coming through with some tips. Lastly, another way you can show your support and love is by picking up a t-shirt, sweater, crew neck over at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. An update on the Molly Seidel merch. She and I teamed up on a t-shirt that says, Well-Behaved Marathoners Seldom Make History. And all of the proceeds go towards WeCoach, which is an organization supporting female coaches. We sold almost 600 shirts and raised more than $4,500. Amazing. So, friends, I've been blown away by the support that you guys have all shown with some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Keep those coming because we cracked the top 40 of all sports shows, and we cracked the top 15 of all sports shows on Spotify. Crazy stuff. This really goes to show that track and field storytelling has a place among all these other great shows. Your ratings and reviews help it make it possible for future sponsors and new listeners to know what you all think of the show. And of course, thanks to everyone who has shared some of the most recent episodes on their Instagram stories or on Twitter. I do my best to reshare them anytime that someone tags Sidious Mag in them. We love to see it. 
My guest for today's episode is Joey Mayako. He's a lead editor at Newsy and a veteran of the U.S. Army. His work at Newsy encompasses the entertainment industry as well as national news, but it has all come full circle with his most recent project. It's titled In Real Life Post Trauma. It's a 22-minute special that shares his personal story on treating post-traumatic stress and how other war veterans cope and find their own treatment upon returning home. For Joey, running has played a major role in that. And he recently ran the Flying Pig Marathon out in Cincinnati. I got the chance to connect with him for the first time back in September through a mutual friend. And I could sense his excitement of what the sport has brought him. And so we decided to talk about it on this podcast because that's also part of his healing and his way of helping others is sharing his experience. I've linked to the Newsy special, which is free to watch on their site and on YouTube. And I encourage you to do so if this conversation really sticks with you. So more than happy to share this episode just a little bit after Veterans Day when we as a country pay our respects to those who have served. So without further ado, here is Joey Mayako. All right, now we welcome on Joey Mayako to the podcast, just featured in Real Life Post Trauma, a special from Newsy that is available to watch on youtube right now uh joey you're also fresh off a marathon so how are things going things are going good yeah the first couple days uh i think it was like two weeks ago like monday tuesday was a little rough um but i did a actually did a 5k last weekend for uh dav um disabled american vets um so that was a nice little like precursor to get back into it so i'll probably start you know getting some runs in next week i've taken about two weeks off yeah. And it's always nice to, to get that, uh, that next race just kind of out of the way. And it, you got the, you got the itch pretty, pretty quick. So th- your third marathon, 340 at the Cincinnati flying pig marathon, and you dressed up as Forrest Gump. So take a second so, as to what was the reason behind the costume? Well, normally the flying pig is in May and it's mm-hmm. super hot. Um, but this year because of COVID and they, you know, they had to push some things back. It was on Halloween and, you know, I, I was going to go as Prefontaine um, just because that would have been fun, too. But no one I don't think anyone really would have gotten the reference. Um, so I thought Forrest Gump was a, you know, a nice second. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's looking for a good costume idea, it's really fun because everyone screams run, Forrest, run. You know, there's a lot of hype around it. Um, and, you know, when you're in at mile 18, 19, having people just like cheer for you is really, you know, it, it adds more, uh, fuel, uh, when you need it. Yeah. So part of the reason I guess why we're touching base now is this special just came out at the same time. This is around, uh, veterans day. And so, uh, you got to share your story and I guess I watched it fairly recently outside of this documentary. I mean, this is, still fairly early on in the process of you kind of speaking out about your own sort of experience with, you know, PTSD. So I guess like, where are you kind of in this process? I mean, I'm it's, it's the process is every day. Like I think that, and that's what I'm starting to realize. Like there, there really is no end. And so for me, um, I'm, you know, a few months out from getting the stellate ganglion block procedure. Um, that was like, you know, a lot of things kind of came together to really make that happen. Um, you know, I'm feeling a lot better, uh, you know, from a, you know, a physical stamp, uh, perspective. Um, you know, I think the thing that's hard is, um, PTSD can often feel like this invisible 
force um, and, you know, going through this and kind of learning a lot more about it. Um, you know, I helped, it helped me kind of see it more as, you know, there's an injury that can be associated with it. And that injury kind of happens in the brain and it causes, um, you know, your fight or flight to be elevated. Um, and that then has other implications. So, you know, helping address that has kind of helped unpack a lot of other things. And it's, you know, from the other aspects of my life, it's made, you know, running a lot more enjoyable because I can, instead of running away, I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, having a lot more, like a better intention um, when you're going into those things. Um, and that's, you know, that mindset really has helped um, a lot. To share a little bit of your backstory with some of the listeners, were you always a runner? I was not. I was, um, I grew up skateboarding and like, I was always active, but I never really got into running. Um, so I enlisted in the, the army. Um, I was 17 and part of that, you know, getting ready for basic training, you have to run a, a two mile, um, two miles in, I think less than like 15 minutes. Uh, and so I'd never run more than like half a mile at that point. So, um, I was able to do it in like 14 minutes, the two miles. So that felt pretty good. Um, and I started to kind of just, I had to incorporate it into my life because of the military. And I started to like it just because it's, you know, there's a, you know, you get into that rhythm, you can kind of like, um, you know, it's a good exercise, but it's also like, there's a lot of like good mental stuff to it um, that I found early on. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, you know, a lot of my, you know, relationship early on. Um, but it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I kind of had an initial, uh, kind of episode, I guess you're going to, we could call it from, um, when I first started realizing that I had some issues with post-traumatic stress, um, that I started to kind of running started to be this kind of almost like this medicine in a lot of ways. Like if I would feel my, like all the nervous energy start to build up and I would be like, all right, I need to go on a run. And it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to go run two miles. It's like, all right, I'm going to go run eight miles real quick. And, um, and to me, that was kind of like what I had to do. And that lasted for, you know, good 10 to 12 years, just ebbs and flows, obviously. Um, but you know, it, it helped early on too. also like um, I ran the Las Vegas rock and roll marathon was one of my first ones. And like having like a goal in mind really helped kind of like push me through, you know, kind of some dark times. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a, uh, a very active, uh, part of my life, um, you know, for the better part of a decade now. I'll come back to when you really picked it up and started using it as part of your healing process. But I want to go back to your first day of training, which in the special you said was nine 11. So it, as a New Yorker, for me, it's a day I'll never forget. I was much younger. I was in I was in third grade. Uh, but for you, I guess, how do you remember that day in particular? So we were. Um, it was my first day of uh, advanced training. We were. Uh, I was mechanic, and we were down in Fort Jackson, um, South Carolina, at this point. And we just kind of sit in. Um, we're like, you know, in our uniforms, kind of in our seats, and they pull us out of class and they get us into formation like soldiers the world trade centers have been hit by by planes and i lean over to my buddy and i'm like is this is this like a simulation like what would we do in this moment kind of a thing because it's it's so shocking it's one of those things where it's like 
you know, because the army does a lot of war games and like training stuff. And so I thought this was like, all right, we're going to, you know, shoot them for a loop or something. And they said, nope, go call your families, tell them you're going to be okay. And then, you know, back to class. And I remember vividly walking back past the day room, which is like kind of where we all hung out and there's a big TV and you just see the planes hitting the towers. And I was like, damn, all right. Like, and it all started to like shift after that. We went back to class and one of the, um, the instructors uh, who they're normally like, you know, higher enlisted like uh, sergeants and stuff. So they've seen, they've had a, a, a career in the military. You know, like every single one of you was gonna be called up in some way, shape or form. Like just be prepared. Like this has never happened. This is a Pearl Harbor event. Um, and so is, you know, it's like the cloud starts to, you know, come up of like the, the, the gravity of the decision that you made. And, you know, I sign on the dotted line. It's like, there's, there's no going back at that point. So it was, you know, it was pivotal for, for everyone. Um, and so that was, yeah, it was definitely, uh, <laughs> never forget that. Right. You go to Afghanistan what was daily life like there? Because I'm sure it wasn't what you could have imagined when you, when you signed up to do this in the first place. You know, a lot of it, um, you know, early on wasn't too bad. You know, for me, this was the first time I'd really been out of the country. Um, and part of, you know, we were mechanics. So Bagram at the time was a huge coalition uh, base. And they would, you know, a lot of the vehicles would just come through our motor pool. Um, and we had, you know, a lot of our unit, but then we had like some supplemental people, some like local nationals that were helping out. So it was really my first taste of like, this is the world. This is a lot bigger than, you know, you know, Ohio at the time. Um, and so, yeah, early on was, you know, I tried it, I was trying to take as much in, um, and, um, you know, just learning the, like they would have to have, um, local, the local nationals would come on and kind of work on the base. Um, and I, you know, became friends with some of them just cause you know, you're, you're, you're in these kind of close quarters and you're learning more and more about these people. And, um, you know, some, I think would be a little hostile toward them, but I was at least trying to, um, you know, be as, you know, courteous and just, I was really curious, um, at the time I was 19. So like really fresh and just like bright eyed, bushy tail. Um, so yeah, that was kind of early days. And, you know, you, you start to really um, appreciate the small things like uh, every Friday was surf and turf. So like you could get a lobster tail and a steak and um, I would end up trading my buddy because I wasn't a big steak guy, especially like the army steaks could be a little tough. Um, I would trade him my steak for his lobster tail. So I'd have like two lobster tails and I'm like, there was all this pudding. And I was, I really like pudding. Um, so like it was little things like that or like getting mail, um, from people was like, always like, you know, you're, you're in this, like kind of a, you know, it's kind of a bizarre thing to go into a combat zone. Um, but then, um, yeah, so it was all those, always those little things of trying to like have remnants of home or like, you know, trying to feel like normal. Mm -hmm. And then you, in especially you say you, you came back physically 10 fingers, 10 toes, just like how you were when you got, you know, when, when you were sent out there physically all was well. And so in those initial moments, when you come back home, 
you really hadn't given too much thought as to, all right, well, there's the, the mental side of also coming back and being okay. I hadn't thought about that at all. Like, and, you know, towards the end of my, you know, the last month and a half, I went on like four or five combat missions. So I was like, kind of in this like heightened mode, uh, cause we're like leaving the base, like the, the safety of the base and we're kind of going off there. So, um, I felt lucky. I was like, I made it like I did this and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still alive. And, um, I, I will say that the thing that shifted was like, I'm so lucky to be alive. Now I have to like really, you know, go full force into life. And, and I was in school at the time. So I immediately went from like 12 credit hours to like 18 and 21 credit hours. Like, just full hog because I knew this was, I was going to get deployed again. Like they even warned us, like, don't get too comfortable because you're going back. And, you know, that's a, it's, it's hard to even try to move forward when you know that that's an, an impending thing. So yeah, when we first got back I, and, and I don't, and I, and I apologize to listeners if I, I, I don't quite remember them talking too much about any mental stuff as we're leaving. It was more about, you know, you're transitioning from, you know, from active duty now to this, um, you know, I was going back to my national guard status, um, and, you know, give yourself time, but it, it, it you know, barely anything. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't think about it. I just went like, I'm here, I'm alive. Like, let's go. I was like, you know, the start of a marathon, like bingo. And like, you're starting to kind of weave through people. And like, that's, you know, it was a very, that's a, I think a, that was my intention right at that point. What were some of the initial things that you just found much more pleasure and enjoyment in getting to realize that you get to savor in some things? Like it's not surf and turf every Friday, but you know, it's whatever you wanted. And so uh, initially in those in, before kind of things take a turn, what were you really enjoying? I was just enjoying that. Like I was able to, go after the things I was wanting to do in life, like, and not have to like, so I was in school at the time I was getting a degree Mm -hmm. in media. Um, and I was able to really pour myself into that and like have this kind of outlet. Um, so, you know, early on, like when I first got back, it was like school, you know, seeing friends and family, a lot of partying, um, you know, a lot of like, just, you know, some of it, like a general disregard for like, you know, life in a way, like, right. I didn't care. Like I'd already, I'd done this thing and I'm going to just live life at a nine and 10 every day. And all these different aspects with like, you know, school and relationship, but then also like, yeah, just partying and kind of living that, you know, that school life, so to speak, college life. You start working at a TV station and then really was 18 months later when you start to feel the first effects of post-traumatic stress. So I guess, could you share what it was that, that really triggered that and where, where it led? Yeah. So I was, I was in school, I had gotten an internship, um, and I was, um, part of my job. I was basically taking the live newscast and digitizing it into their blog. And at the end of the newscast was, uh, you know, soldiers that were killed in action. And up until this point, um, you know, the, you know, 18 months, you know, I knew people were going to, to, uh, overseas, whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan, like I had friends that were going over, I was trying to be like, as focused on my own stuff. So I didn't have to like, 
you know, kind of think about that because it was, I left it over there. Um, and so I'm at the end of the newscast there, you're showing these soldiers that were KIA. And for the most part, I was able to desensitize that cause I didn't know them, but then there was a guy that came up that I knew and it's, you know, I, I had a panic attack. I had like a full on, never had that in my life panic attack that I stood up and I just, I had left and, you know, ran away. I like basically ran away cause it was so intense. Um, and that was kind of the first part where I was like, something's up, Some, something isn't feeling right. Um, and that was kind of the start of trying to unpack this. Um, I went to the, you know, went to the VA, um, did about like four or five uh, therapy sessions. They do what's called um, prolonged exposure, at least then, because it was still also like, you know, now they have a, a more a fuller uh suite of like tell people um back you know whatever 12 15 years ago it was a couple rooms you know a couple people and it, it at least to my like how i remembered it um it wasn't as robust as it was now um and basically i just talked about what happened a few times and then they're like okay how are you feeling i'm like i feel better i guess like you know and it's hard to kind of quantify that at that time um and so and I thought I was fixed. I was like, cool. I did that. I, you know, I went to therapy a couple of times and now I'm better. And like, and for the large part, like I felt better, but like, it was this, and I talk about this in the documentary, it was this thing that was just, it was just there, just kind of nagged you. And, um, and as it kind of evolved, as I kept going through life, I moved to LA. Um, well, I did a, you know, another deployment to Germany, which was, you know, a little better. Than Afghanistan, um, and then got out of the military, moved to uh, LA, and just started working. And you know, this is a lot of time when like Gary V was starting to come out, and like the hustle mentality, and just work, 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 work. And I ate that up because with work, I'm avoiding a lot of things, and I don't have to think about that. I can just pour myself in. And I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm like, you know, this and that, and I'm hustling, and and um which was fine, but like, it was like a pressure cooker and, you know, three to four times a year, I would just like, I'd fall apart. Um, and I got, and part of me stopped. i like disassociated my like PTSD at that time. So I was just like, Oh, I guess this is just how things are now. Like you work so hard and this is, you know, the byproduct of that. But like the more I kind of, you know, kept into that, you know, I, I started to piece things back together. Um, I went through a, you know, a disability process through the VA and that helped actually unpack a lot of things. And, you know, long story short, it, it's been this, you know, this ever evolving thing that, you know, the more I try to run away from it or like try to uh, push it down, the, the bigger it gets, the, you know, the, the scarier it can get. Um, and so I, you know, coming out of COVID, coming out of like being under hyper lockdown and, you know, PTSD is so isolating. And I, and sometimes there's a lot of comfort in that, but I was just so sick and tired of it that, yeah, it came to the point, like the documentary basically starts at this kind of crossroads that I'm at. Like, I'm either going to start with some antidepressants, I'm going to, you know, or SGB, that sounds cool. Like I can maybe look into that or I'm going to start doing LSD and shrooms and all of that stuff. And I 
because I know that that's a you know a path that people are talking about. But I was I was so kind of at that point, um, and it took a long time to get there. It's not like you're you wake up and it's like oh I feel a certain way, but you're ready to make that step. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, that's kind of how it got to that point. And through all of that, just to bring it a little bit back to running, um, running became this uh, this focal point for me, especially the last few years. Like I knew I had to really simplify a lot of things. I knew that I could run three miles a day, no matter what, I don't have to run 20, but if I run three, that's at least my like minimum dosage. And I, and I had to like, kind of break down a lot of my, um, just like, like I had to become like a scientist in a little bit of like how my brain works. So like, oh, I'm feeling a certain way. I know I need some serotonin or dopamine or endorphins or this or that. Um, and the way to do that is like, all right, I have to meditate right now. Like, see ya. And I'll just go do that for 15 minutes and I'll kind of get my brain reset or I need to go for a run. I had, and, and it became more of a, you know, a manic thing versus mm-hmm. like, um, something to look forward to and enjoy. Um, and that a lot of that is that, you know, that fight or flight mechanism that like that, because when I went over there, the fear of being over there, like that's a natural thing. That's a healthy thing that keeps you alert and alive, like, and ready to go. But it got stuck at like a seven instead of, you know, back to, you know, pre-trauma levels, which are, you know, two, three, and it takes you a lot more to get, you know, heightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of just unpacking that, that understanding has, and even just talking about it, like the fact that I'm having a conversation about this via podcast is like, if you would have asked me this eight months ago, I would have been like, I, I can't do that. I'm quitting. I'm not, I, I don't, I'll find another job. Um, but you, I've, I've kind of had to start to talk about it um, because the stigma is real. Like people don't want to talk about this stuff. It's, it's, you know, especially in the military, you're, you know, you're trained as much as you can to be emotionless because that can be a liability. Yeah. You're meeting, you know, some of these challenges, you know, and, and, and overcoming a little bit of, you know, that stigma head on. And you described it as, you know, sucking out the poison and getting it out. It's, you know, I'm kind of thinking of it too. Back a couple months ago, I, I would have never have guessed. Like in April, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Zach Clark, who was on The Bachelorette, but was like huge uh, into pushing that he works getting people, you know, treatment for addiction and, you know, recovery. And I just thought of it as like, you know, it's a podcast with me and my, and my friend. And, you know, he's trying to raise awareness to this foundation and raise money to get people scholarships so that they have access to that health. And, you know, this past weekend running the New York City Marathon, I got to meet some people who got connected to his foundation through, you know, the off chance that they listen to the podcast. And so, you know, now I'm a little bit more aware of sort of a little bit of this, this platform that I've, that I've kind of built out a little bit. And, you know, so I'm kind of curious if, what is that message you might have for someone who in the off chance gets the, you know, comes across this podcast and listens and has gone through something similar to you, although it's very different case by case, uh, about, you know, sucking out the poison and, and, and facing that, that fear a little bit and, and the, uh, 
and, and all of that head on and, and talking about it? I, I think the biggest thing, um, and we talk about it in the documentary, is just open-mindedness. You know, if you feel like you're stuck in a corner, look to your left, there might be a door. Look to your right, there might be a window. Um, and that's, you know, really what I had to do a few years ago. I, you know, it was really kind of a dark time. Um, and I had to do as much, you know, accountability for myself. Um, and because you have the tools, you know, the, what's the, what's the saying? You can't lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Mm-hmm. Like the same goes with this. There's so many resources out there that can help. But at the end of the day, you still need to do the work. You still need to go through that p- process. The only way through is out or the only way out is through. Um, and meaning for years, you know, I was avoiding it for years. I was putting, you know, all like work or running or this or that as a, as a means to escape it, um, where really it can't, it's super scary. Are you kidding me? It's, it's terrifying, but leaning into that, um, it it can be freeing in a lot of ways. And it, it, it makes other things less scary. It starts to kind of find more of an equilibrium. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's don't be afraid to kind of look at all the options, you know, forever. I just thought it was the VA, you know, the VA is the only way to go for the, for treatment for PTSD. That is not the case. There are so many places out there. The VA is not trying to, you know, throw shade on them. Like uh, they've been very helpful, but the veteran suicide rate is crazy. Like all the, the, the stats around this are so grim that, you know, my hope is that the story can humanize uh, a little bit of kind of what people have to go through um, and know that, you know, yeah, you're not alone. There's, there's so many groups out there that are just like, that want to fight for you um, to keep going. What, what is it that maybe pains you, I think the most, you, you mentioned like the veteran suicide rate, but nowadays I like when you hear or come across another news story article or, or you get wind of something that's happened, like what, what, what is it that really affects you nowadays um, when it comes to hearing other people's stories? I think it's just the, 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 they're like trying to go at it alone. That's what's tough. And you know, that the, that suicide rate is it's crazy because um, you know, it, it, it feels hopeless. It feels like, what do you, what can you do? Um, and that's, it was, it was that. And, um, you know, when I first got back from Afghanistan, we were back for like a day and we were staying at a holiday inn right by base. And, uh, there was a couple old Vietnam vets that came up to me and they said something to the effect of like, you know, thank you for your service. Um, you know, when we first got back in the sixties and seventies, you know, people spat on us and people, you know, were horrible to us. Um, and we made sure that when you guys got back, um, you know, people honored you. And, and so that's, I think there's a lot of like, thank the troops and support the troops stuff. You know, I see a lot of the stuff, the same, you know, the same way that that generation of veterans has helped my generation of veterans, you know, there's so much stuff coming out about PTSD and there's so many, you know, good documentaries and other pieces of media about PTSD and just more awareness, more like talking about it, more, you know, bucking some of the, you know, that stigma um, that, you know, my hope is that that next generation of veterans 
isn't going to have to deal with it. Or if they have to deal with it, they're better equipped to navigate it because it's a lot easier to, you know, go cave dwelling with a flashlight than just kind of with your hands out trying to figure out what's what. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to bring running back into it, you mentioned sort of knowing what your brain and your body needs. And you, you said at one point that, you know, it starts off sometimes with just three miles, five miles, and you can go longer, eight, 10. When you started off using running as kind of that, that medication, you weren't training for anything really. So this is just unstructured running. How did you sort it? Was it a really hard day required 10 miles out of you? And, and, and like, how hard were you pushing your body? Those days was, I think, you know, five to eight. I didn't, it was more like, am I, do I feel it? Or like more like I'm going to run for 45 minutes. Um, just to get a workout in. And I got bored of that really quickly. And that's when I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. And I was trying to, I was training for the LA city one. Um, I hurt my knee and my gosh, that setback, I felt like it triggered something in me. Cause like, or after that, I've just, I've kind of gone full force on a lot of it. So, um, yeah, it's those early days was, um, yeah, I was balancing trying to run as much as I could with like working like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, just like, you know, manic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so when you did come across, I guess, like that little injury, was it, was it a little nerve wracking there? Because it's like, if you, if you have this thing that helps you and all of a sudden you can't do it, uh, what were you going to do in that and to, to help yourself? I don't know. Believe me, (laughs) believe me, I don't know. And that's, that thought has come across my, you know, my brainwaves a few times. Um, I'm, to be honest, there's off, like, I thank God for running when I'm running. Like, I thank God for my knees and my lungs and my, the ability for my heart to pump and my brain to work, like, because I know how much it has helped me. Um, and, you know, when we were shooting the documentary and I was, we were shooting those running scenes. We had finished shooting the running scenes and everyone else was in the car. And I was just, I just finished my run and I ran through Covington and I was running across the bridge and I had to wait because there was a, someone in a wheelchair in front of me. And I had to run slow as I was watching this, you know, person in a wheelchair. I never saw their face. I just, you know, I was, and that moment I felt so, you know, grateful for, just at least having the ability to run. Cause I don't know, I don't know what would have happened. And I don't want to think about that. I've, you know, if I let my mind jump into those, like it can get dark quick. And so I've, I've, you know, I've choose chosen to like kind of lean into, um, you know, running towards those kind of more positive aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Are you one of the, the, the people who gravitates to the marathon is, is the limit? Like that's how, oh no, you're shaking. Your I want, I want to do a hundred miler. <laughs> I think the hundred miler sounds so like I call it life in a day. Yeah. It sounds that, and that's the thing, like, uh, with the marathon, like, yeah, it hurts, but you're running, I'm, you're running as hard as you can. Um, with a hundred miler, like 
there take that takes a lot more strategy and like you're you're pacing yourself and yeah i i'd love to do a hundred mile i'm kind of getting at the point where i'm like i want to do marathons just to like keep going but i feel like my next long run i'm just going to do like 36 miles and just like just go for it and then all right try to get that more consistent just running on sore legs um and just see what see what that looks like and maybe just sign up for a 50k or 100k and just go for it see uh, is, uh, given what you had just said before that i i thought you'd be on eggshells and just kind of a little bit more cautious just to avoid injury <laughs> i should but <laughs> i i here's the thing i feel so alive when i'm doing that i because i'm feeling broken and i'm pushing through it like you it's like your body like you're you're shedding a layer and um and i think some of this goes back to you know you have these really extreme uh, experiences it's hard to recreate those and I, and i don't really even want to recreate them but i i know the feeling of it um and that's when i'm you know at mile 24 and i see two miles left i'm like all right let's keep and then you start to like it starts to build up and you know thinking about david goggins you still got 40 percent in the tank and i'm like yeah let's get it <laughs> um and so it's part of those things where like i try to i i know i know that it you know ptsd can pull you back and that grief and that sadness it can, it can help it can really hold you down but it can also propel you it can also like be this catalyst um because you can say like no fuck you i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna go like as hard as i can because you're not gonna beat me you're not gonna get at me um and that's where it's you know I'd rather, you know, I don't want to get injured, but, and I will say the old, like, I'm getting a little older now. I've, I'm taking a, like this training for the pig has been a lot better than previous ones. Like I drink a lot more like electrolytes, protein, you know, I was a lot more diligent uh, with the nutrition where in the past I was just like, all right, I have chocolate milk. I should be fine. Right. <laughs> when you go out for these runs, are you listening to music? What's going through your head? What are you thinking about? Um, it varies. I'll, I'll listen to books on like audible. Um, like I just, here, what's the latest book I was just listening to just so it's, we have a little context. Um, uh, book called humankind, like listen to like a lot of like systems thinking mm -hmm. books and like glass, glass half full, full kind of, yeah. um, so those are some books that I'll listen to sometimes, but then I'll, um, I've been listening to like a lot of like nineties punk, like no effects and old offspring just cause I was really into that stuff in like high school. And I don't know, for some reason I'm getting tuned back into it. It gets me super pumped up. Yeah. Uh, when you're running these marathons, I mean, you just, you, you ran your third one. What's, what's the best you've, you felt? Cause I know it can get painful, but there's a joy that comes with it, whether it's sometimes people would say the best moment was, you know, getting in the starting corral and starting with a bunch of people or crossing the finish line or, and some people embrace the hurt that comes with, you know, hitting mm. that wall at 21 or 22. What's, what have been the best moments for you in these races? And, and are you trying to push yourself to continue getting faster? Or is it just sort of savoring in, you know, the experience? I'll answer that one first. I'd love to, I'd love to crack 330. 330 is my goal. Um, I know I'll never qualify for Boston, 
but I know, but I could age into it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm 38 right now at 65, you have to run it in four hours and 10 minutes. So all I got to do is just like keep my current pace for the next 20 years and then I'll qualify for Boston. So that's at least like, you know, I'm always trying to push myself. I'd love to run it faster. I just, I know my limitations, not only physically, but what it takes to shave 10 to 15 miles off of that. Like it's a lot of work. Um, and I'm trying to have fun with it. Like I'm never going to get sponsored for running. I'm never like, I could never make it a career. And so I'd rather, you know, I like to use it as a, you know, this goal to work at. Um, and so I think to answer your first question, I like, you know, I like a lot of I like the whole process going in all those people, like the energy of it, um, especially with dressing as Forrest Gump, because there was other couple of Forrest Gumps there. And so we took photos together. Um, the first couple miles are fun because you're like you're zigging and zagging around people and you're like, wow, I'm so fast. Um, and then pushing through that pain is, you know, you feel to me, I feel alive. I'm like, you know, grinding away. Um, and then, you know, running across the finish line, seeing my kids like they're they're like, you know, cheering me on. And so that was, you know, fun, too. So it's I think this one versus other ones, I was other ones. I was so focused on like, get my best time, get my best time kind of, you know, at no holds bar. Um, don't take breaks. Like I took a couple breaks on this one. Like I, I brought oatmeal with me and chugged it at the mile 12 to make sure I had enough fuel. Um, other ones, I just like try to slam a couple goos and by the end I'm like dying. Um, and then I can't run for like two months. So like, I'm trying to more think of, you know, a race is just a race. Cause I'm going to have to wake up tomorrow and I'd, I'd love to go for another run in a couple of days. So push myself enough, but not to the extent where I'm going to like really do permanent damage. Mm -hmm. So when I met you, what is it now? Two months ago in New York city, it was, it was a trip that was pretty pivotal, I guess, for, for you and sort of, um, this healing process, I guess, could you share with the listeners, I guess, what it was you partook in and, um, and I guess what, what it has done for you. So we went to New York on the 20th anniversary of nine 11. Uh, we went there with a group called amp surf. Um, and we paddled out into Jamaica Bay, uh, which kind of is right across from where the twin towers were and where freedom center is um and participating in a paddle out it's a kind of a sacred um uh surfing uh ritual where you go out and you kind of you remember the lives but you also celebrate the lives of those uh that were lost and this was in breezy point um kind of right outside of queens um or in queens i believe and um they lost a lot of um, people on uh, 9-11 um, and, and since then from complications of 9-11 uh, injuries. So it's, you know, for me, and, and I was a, a world away when 9-11 happened. I think there was a, there was a collective, um, it was collective trauma in that regard, but, you know, I didn't know any of these people, but I still felt, you know, their pain. I wanted to I felt like I needed to kind of like participate with them because, you know, because of what happened in New York is why I went over to Afghanistan. It was a lot of root cause stuff. And I think my issue with 
um, early days, at least with post-traumatic stress, is I never felt like I was dealing with any of the root cause. I just felt like it was more of a band-aid, like, you know, just meditate and you'll be fine for a little bit, or just do this and you'll be fine for a little bit. Where going to New York, going through this whole documentary process has really been about like identifying some of those root causes so you can actually have healing and actually kind of point yourself in the right direction. Um, cause you know, with this, um, and it's not specific to post-traumatic stress, but you know, you feel like you can be on the hamster wheel, like doing the same things. You feel like you're stuck. Um, and that can be kind of depressing and demoralizing. So this was, you know, about kind of identifying that, um, and, you know, participating in this thing where we celebrated people's lives and, and, you know, hopefully we can, you know, continue to move on together. The documentary real life, uh, closes with you saying, uh, 20 years after the events that sent me to war, it was time for me to stop living in the past for a long time. I felt stuck from where I was three months ago to today. I'm not cured, but I'm moving in the right direction. The last 15 years won't dictate the next 15 years. So I'm curious, like, what, what is your hope for these next 15 years and how many marathons, maybe a couple ultras factor into um, those next 15? That's what I'm saying. The sky's the limit. I feel like <laughs> I've, I've, I really want to do um, like a 50 K. I really want to do a hundred miler. I just, I'd want to, you know, push in that direction. I want to do more as many documentaries and more work like this, not specific to, you know, post-traumatic stress, but more things that, you know, continue to have, you know, value and impact. Um, I will say, I want to do another episode of this, but more focused on like drugs and kind of the different, um, methods that are used to, to help in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I don't want to be limiting. I, I just want to, and I think the other thing is I want to continue to just, uh, enjoy and be present. I think sometimes putting out big goals like that can also be like overwhelming. So, um, I think, I know I'm probably going to do the pig ne again next year. Um, back in the fun. spring, right? Yeah. It's in the spring. Um, but we'll see, maybe I'll put a, a 50 K on the, on the docket or, a um, or a hundred K hundred miler two fifty. who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, that'd be wild. Um, all right. So final questions that I ask every guest, I've got two for you here. One is if you go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, they don't have to be a real person. They don't have to be a runner. Assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you, where would the run take place and who would it be with? Um, I'd probably do like Hawaii, like the Nepali coastline or something with David Goggins. I don't know. I feel like he's a real person. Like maybe he's listening to this and they're like, oh, I want to do that. But <laughs> I don't know. His, his book has been really kind of helped me a lot. Um, and just that mentality of having like a really strong mental approach, um, I think has just been, you know, it's, it's been really beneficial. Remind me again, did you, have you done the Goggins? Now, now I need, maybe that's the next thing I should do. I'm, I feel like I'm working up to that. I'm not, I'm not as hard as, uh, as some of those people. 
I, I did it back in April, but I will say it was, I think, the most pampered version of it with me and a couple of friends at a hotel and like getting, you know, other friends from New York City to come out and do it. So um, I, I believe in you. I think you get you actually with, with four mar- with uh, three marathons under your belt. You've got you've got what it takes for sure to, uh, to get it done. So maybe that's something for, for next year, you know, in the in the fall or something for you. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, final question I, I've got has nothing to do with running. Um, it's you get 25 shots from half court on a full size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. But if you don't make any of the shots, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think 25 million is my price of freedom. No, no, no. And, and even when I get 25 million, then what? Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, thank you. That sounds you're, you're, you're gambling with way too much right there. Definitely. So Joey, the documentary is real life post-trauma. People can watch it on Newsy's YouTube channel, but if they want to reach out to you, get in contact with you, where else can they find you? Yeah. Just so at Joey Miyako on Instagram, I guess is probably the best bet. I will, I'll say I'm not great at social admittedly. Um, so if I don't hit you back, know that I'm, I'm trying my best. All right. We'll do. So Joey, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. The Sidious Mac Podcast is a production of the Sidious Mac Podcast Network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support Sidious Mag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash Sidious Mag to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Sidious Mag. We've also got merch over on SidiousMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.